0: Well good morning everybody. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open. Uh, It'd be very helpful if you had uh, John chapter 19 open um, as we think about these things. So let's pray and ask that God will help us uh, with his word today. Heavenly Father we thank you for gathering us together. Uh, We thank you for the freedom to meet and we thank you for the freedom to engage with your word. Uh, We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word but most especially in the person of your son the Lord Jesus. And so as we think about uh, the events of that, uh, that dark day on Calvary, uh, we ask that you would write these things deeply on our hearts. Help us not to leave today uh, unmoved, unchanged by the things that we're about to engage with from your word. Uh, and we ask that you would shape us and form us by your spirit and, and fashion us according to your will and purpose so that we can be useful servants for you in the days that lie ahead. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been a Christian any length of time, these events are they are familiar to you. You know them, don't you? And the danger with familiarity is we can think we know them so well that we don't need to hear about them again. But there's a sense in which um, it's not Easter time in heaven. Did you know that? We're not actually commanded to do this. Uh, every time we gather, uh, whenever that might be, is another reflection of the fact that Jesus did wonderful things for us on the cross. But we misunderstand the gospel completely if we underestimate this at any level. The fact that it took God the Son, God in a human form, to pay the price of this severe agony so that you and I could be forgiven, says a lot about both our human wretchedness, our complete lack of hope within ourselves, and it says a lot about the wonderful love of God and his mercy towards us. So we, we mustn't read these words just as words on a page. These have to find their home in our hearts. If they don't shape our affections, we haven't read them properly. And so the task of, of bringing these words again, which are so familiar, is one that we all share in now. Uh, words virtually fail us to deal with what's really going on here. So look at how our reading begins. Chapter 19, actually the first part of verse 16, because there's a reasonably clumsy division in the Bible here. What's been happening is that Jesus has come in. We just sang about that. Um, He came in and everybody was singing songs about him. And then within a week, the whole crowd, the whole of Jerusalem's turned against him. And the Jewish authorities have said to the Roman authorities, We can't kill him, but you have to. And the Roman authorities give in and say, All right, we will. And Pilate shows him to be a weak leader. Well, he shows himself to be a weak leader because he gives in to the mob, even though he knows he's condemning to death a man who doesn't deserve to die. And so, with all that behind us, we get to verse 16. So he delivered them, him over to be crucified, he delivered him over to them. To be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. The place of a skull. It's been debated what that actually means. Does it mean that the rocky outcrop looked like a skull? Maybe. But there's this ancient Jewish legend, and it's not recorded in the Bible, so it's just a legend. But if you look at enough ancient paintings, like old medieval paintings, if you look at the foot of a cross, you'll often see a skull and Jesus bleeding onto it. And that comes from an ancient Jewish legend that Golgotha was the burial place of Adam. Now, we're not sure. The scriptures don't tell us, so I don't want to go any further with the speculation. Except that the name of this place is Golgotha, which is translated for us, it means the place of a skull. Now you'll notice how little detail is given of what goes on here. Have you seen that? There's no mention of what crucifixion involved. Now you can read about that if you want to. But I'm not going to go beyond what the Bible actually tells us here in terms of describing the agony of Jesus. Because what we find here is that the Bible writer is reticent. Now, this is John the Apostle, John the close friend of Jesus. He's identified in this passage as being the beloved disciple. And he doesn't go into gruesome descriptions of the agony of it. But we know a few things from history. We know this, that the Persian empire was the people that invented crucifixion. They weren't the only people to practice it, but they invented it. And then it was handed on to other succeeding civilizations, but the Romans refined it and perfected it and they turned the act of crucifixion into the most gruesome possible way to die. Now they turned it into an act of propaganda because the Romans ruled a very large empire. And many, many, many people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And they decided that if they wanted to keep the slave population from revolting and rebelling against their Roman overlords, they had to have a method of punishment so cruel that any thinking person would say, that's not for me, I'll knuckle under and just be good. And so to maximise the effect of crucifixion, they always made them public. They always made them in a location that no one could miss. So, in other words, just outside the town, just outside the gate, at a spot that everybody coming and going in their everyday life had to bear witness to. That was where crucifixions took place. They couldn't take place inside the city because crucifixion was so horrible that that would have made the city itself impure. But they did want to make sure that everybody knew there was a crucifixion on today. Now, the thing about crucifixion was that it was so ghastly a way to die that polite people didn't speak of it. They wouldn't mention it. It was the sort of thing that if it was mentioned, the subject was changed because everybody knew what it meant and no one wanted to think about it. If you were a Roman citizen, it was illegal for you to be crucified. It was a punishment that was reserved for the worst of criminals and for slaves alone. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. But to maximise the offensiveness of the act, the people who were subject to crucifixion weren't buried properly. In fact, they were left on the crosses so that birds could eat them. And if they were taken down, they were left where animals could eat them. Because they wanted everybody to know that even after the dead had deceased, their remains would be dishonoured. And it mattered to people in those days as it continues to matter to people how they're treated after they died. I, used to, I worked for a year in the funeral industry when I was studying and uh, I can tell you right now that everybody involved in funerals cares very, very much about the way the dead body is treated. I never saw any flippancy, any light-heartedness. I only ever saw respect for this inanimate body, Right? treated with great respect, and that's characteristic of all civilization. I heard a talk yesterday, the fellow was talking about, he says, I don't speak ill of the dead, but a crucified person was left to rot. Notice there that they put a, a sign above Jesus. Uh, that was another part of the thing. The, uh, the criminals' uh, crimes had to be displayed. They were placarded. And Pilate wrote in three languages so that everybody could see what Pilate had written. He wrote in the language of the day, which was Greek. He wrote in the local language, which was Aramaic. And he wrote in the the Roman language, Latin. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The Jews didn't like that. The Jewish authorities said, no, they just said, we have no king but Caesar, which was blasphemy. They said, no, change it to, this man claimed, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate says, no, what I've written, I've written." That's as emphatic as Pilate could get. He'd given in to the crowd, but now he's saying, "Leave the rest of it to me, fellas. This is something I can do." I was listening to a podcast yesterday by a historian I've discovered in recent times. Victor Davis Hanson is his name, and uh, he's a historian of war and classical civilization, and. I've listened to enough of his talks now to realise that his family has a proud history of military service for America. So his father flew many bombing raids, but his uncle was killed in the, in the, uh, the invasion of Okinawa. And in this talk I heard him give yesterday, he said he never heard Okinawa mentioned once until he was a young adult. Because the horrors of the fighting on Okinawa were such that no American soldier wanted to talk about them. Now crucifixion from the ancient world was barely mentioned in any of the ancient writing but we've got four accounts of a crucifixion here. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all talk about it. They don't elaborate, they don't give us gory details but they're not afraid of saying it happened. The death of a slave, the death of a criminal forms the very heart of what we want to say we believe as Christians. Jesus died the most agonising and the most shameful death why there's four questions I think that come out of this passage today um, and and we're going to have a look at them um, why was Jesus crucified well at a human level we can see in John actually turn back I, I want to I want to answer these questions from the rest of the gospel of John so follow with me go back to John chapter 5 Why was Jesus crucified? Verse 18, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Then in chapter 19 again at verse 7, the Jews said we have a law and according to that law he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. The Jews knew that Jesus, a human, was claiming to be equal with God. They said that is outrageous, that is offensive according to our law this man must die so that's the human dimension of it but there's much more to it than that and the other three questions we need to ask supply the real reasons there's much more that can be said but these will be sufficient for today well jesus said i thirst and then he said he gave a well the other the other gospel writers tell us he groaned loudly and said it is finished now, that's, that's a, a passage, you should underline it in your Bibles. You should highlight it and you should rejoice in it because they're three of the most powerful words that have ever been spoken. It is finished. Now, the question is, what was finished? We'll go back to John 17. John 17 is in the lead-up. The, the Gospel of John divides itself into two parts. Up till about chapter 11, it's the first part of Jesus' life. From chapter 12 on, it's the last week of Jesus' life. So in other words, most of the Gospel of John concerns the last week of Jesus' life. And so in John 17, Jesus is speaking to the disciples on the night before he goes to the cross. And amongst other things, he prays. And in his prayer, John seventeen four, he's praying to God the Father and he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. When Jesus says, it is finished, what he means is, I have done everything I was sent to do. Now, for you and me, the cry, it is finished, is really significant. Because what it means is, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you said, Jesus, your death was for me, your death was on my behalf, if you've done that, if you believe that Jesus is your saviour, There is nothing more to add. It is finished. You are as saved as you can be. You are as safe as you can be. Nothing more to add. Because it's been done. It is finished. Question three. How did Jesus' death fulfil scripture? Because three times in this reading, we find very clear statements from John this happened so that scripture could be fulfilled well Jesus has already said in John chapter 5 that scripture points to him the scriptures bear witness about him and what we find here is John when did John write these words after Jesus was raised from the dead John would not have written this if Jesus wasn't raised there wouldn't have been a story to tell Once Jesus was raised he taught his disciples how to understand the Old Testament and so with all that knowledge that John's had in the 40 days that Jesus spent with them he can now say right when that happened on the cross that was because it said it in Psalm 22. So Psalm 22 speaks of someone who in the act of dying is going to have their garments divided just to add shame to the thing the Roman soldiers took the clothes that they'd taken from Jesus and they divvied them up. Four soldiers each gets an item of clothing. You know, I don't suppose soldiers were paid that well so whatever they could get out of the action, that was a good deal. Right? Now this is another thing that adds to the shame of it. We know that people were crucified naked. When you look at the paintings, they're telling you fibs. Jesus was crucified in the nude because it's just maximising the offensiveness and the shame that these poor people feel as they die. The Romans could fine-tune a crucifixion to last for days. Now Jesus was he died in a few hours. But they, they could there you are on the cross, exposed to the world. And what do you think the world's doing as it's passing by? Well, they're laughing, of course. The whole thing was an act of shaming. And so even while he's dying, they're Dividing up his clothes, but there's one piece of clothing they couldn't divide because it was made out of a single piece of cloth. So these are soldiers and they know how to do the right thing. So they say, let's cast lots for it. They gamble over it. Now they've just committed an injustice. They've killed an innocent man, but they want to do the fair thing with his last piece of clothing. Isn't that an irony? They want to be fair to each other. Well, uh, we're told uh, that Jesus thirsted and that also fulfilled uh, scripture. That, that's predicted in Psalm 69, um, in, uh, in verses 36 to 37, the third pre- uh, fulfilment of scripture. Uh, not one of his bones will be broken. And that takes us all the way back to the Exodus, when the Passover lamb, when, when, they, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, uh, they were instructed to offer a lamb and they couldn't break even one of its legs. And that was a forecast of the perfection of Jesus' sacrifice. So, Jesus' death fulfilled Scripture in specific ways, but Jesus' death fulfilled Scripture in that the whole of the Old Testament was pointing to things that only He could do. And the fulfillment of Scripture shows that God's directing all of this. Nothing's left to chance. But the fourth question we need to come to grips with is what does all this mean? Jesus died. Lots of people were crucified. Uh, hundreds in a day at times we read from Roman history. So why was Jesus' death special? What does it all mean? Well, Jesus was crucified to accomplish, to finish the work that God had given him and to do so in fulfilment of Scripture. But who was Jesus? Well, John chapter 1 tells us that he's God in the flesh. Who was who was dying on the cross there? God was. God in the form of a human. John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know it? You won't find it by going into the bush this weekend and hugging trees. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hugging trees if you want to. Uh, but you won't learn that God loves you in creation. We know God loves us because he sent his son and he let him die. That's how we know God loves us. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does it all mean? In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. What does it mean? God became a human so that he could die in order to show us how much he loves us. And the act of Jesus was purely voluntary. It wasn't coerced. He wasn't wrangled into it. He did it because he wanted to honour his father and because he knew that your salvation could be accomplished no other way. And so that's why in John 14... Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does it mean? It means that God, who has been God from all eternity, becomes a human in the person of God the Son to show us his love, to make a way for people like us to be restored to God that could be accomplished no other way. That's what the cross means. That's why the claims of Jesus are exclusive claims. You are not good enough to commend yourself to God. I'm not. There's no amount of good deeds I could do. I've met people who say, when I get there, I think I'll have done enough. How could you be sure? You'll die wondering. But if you put your trust in Jesus, you have a rolled gold guarantee Because Jesus says it is finished. He's accomplished all the work that the Father gave him to do. And when you put your trust in Jesus' name, that's the one way of knowing that your future is safe, that eternal life is yours. In John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. What does it all mean? In John chapter 19... Pilate says to the crowd, look at this in John chapter 19 verse 4, it's just before our passage. Pilate went out again to them and said, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may see that I find no guilt in him. How can Jesus offer himself? The Roman ruler at the time says, I can't find anything that he's done. This is the Son of God dying to show the love of God for his lost humanity, opening up a unique way an irreplaceable way back into the into a relationship with God but it's on the basis of the fact that he's without sin that's why he can offer himself for you and for me he had no sins of himself to die for he was dying for your sin and for mine so Jesus is God in a body he's perfect and so he's able to pay for all sin He's God in a body so he's eternal so he has eternal life to give. You can only give something you've got yourself, can't you? I could say to you, I'd love to give you a million dollars, couldn't I? But if you went home and looked at my bank balance, you'd see, I haven't got it to give. Politicians will make us promises and they'll break them. Jesus says, I've come that you can have eternal life. He is eternal. He's without sin. His death was for you. When you come by faith to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness, he can give you what he has, which is eternal life. It comes nowhere else. And all of this comes because he was prepared to pour out his blood and that enabled access for people like us, imperfect ones, into God's eternal presence. So why was Jesus crucified? Because he claimed equality with God. That was either true or untrue. Make up your mind. Was he God? If he wasn't, he deserved to die. But if he was God, he died without deserving it. Why was Jesus crucified? He claimed equality with God. What was finished? The work that God had given him to do. How did Jesus' death fulfil scripture? The whole pattern of the Old Testament was pointing ahead to a day when God would send a perfect ruler. And even the details of the Old Testament point to him and find fulfillment in things that he did but what does it mean well I'm going to let John tell us what's it mean go back to John chapter 3 verse 36 John chapter 3 verse 36 remember that all of these things were written because John was convinced that all these things are true because he's seen Jesus raised from the dead John 3 36 what does it mean that Jesus the son of God died on the cross? It means this, says John. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What does the cross mean? It means life and death. That's how important it is. It's not something you can afford to be a bit ambivalent, a bit undecided about. You need to make your mind up. Is Jesus who he said he is? Did the work he accomplished on the cross matter? Is there significance in it? The answer, I think, is yes. This is a crucifixion, a shameful end to a perfect life, but it was done because Jesus volunteered, because he knew that there was no other way for you and me to have our sins forgiven so we could be restored to God and look forward to eternal life. But there are consequences for ignoring that and rejecting it. Because if you reject it, what you're really saying is you needn't have bothered. The most agonising death imaginable, taken on voluntarily, and to say I'm not interested is to say, Jesus, you needn't have bothered. I'll figure this out for myself. If you decide that that's your option, then you are choosing to remain under God's anger. Which is a really foolish option. There's eternal life for those who believe. There's the eternal experience of God's anger for those who reject his offer of love on the cross. And so the choice is before us all today. This is one crucifixion out of many, but it was unique because it was voluntarily entered into as an expression of God's love so that you and I could be forgiven, set free, and we could look forward with hope to eternal life with God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for these great and glorious truths. We thank you that your word and your deeds have revealed yourself as a God of mercy, a God of comfort, a God of love. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you, the good shepherd, laid down your life for the sheep. We thank you that your death on our behalf was voluntary. It wasn't coerced. We thank you that you laid your life down freely so that we could be forgiven. We acknowledge that we're guilty sinners and we deserve the wrath of God and yet you've made a way for us to enjoy eternal life of peace and rest uh, when this life is over. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Please help us to live in the light of these truths. Uh, help us. You know, we ask that the words of the cross would never lose their power. Uh, and so Lord God I ask that you would uh, take these these words and imprint them on our hearts and our consciences and cause us to live as though we believe they're true in Jesus name we pray amen